0: Welcome everybody to episode one and the first official episode of the Stats Don't Matter podcast. We'll be bringing you news from the previous week and things to look forward to over the next week. On this episode, we're going to break down the NHL PA Championship for Charity Fortnite event that just took place. We'll dive a little bit into the match with Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and Tom. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about some of the teams gearing up to start a little bit early. Uh, despite some of the quarantine uh, lance and what we're going to call the last dance effect Uh, we're also going to dive a little bit into whether or not we think shortened seasons are a good idea a little bit more to come talk about where we think cam newton should land but we want to thank you guys for hanging out and we hope you enjoy Everything's recording, baby. All right.
1: Here we go. What 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 is that? What is that saying? It, it goes like, uh, "Those who can't do, coach, and those who can't coach, podcasts. All so, right, like, I guess This this is us. <laughs> this is what we're doing.
0: Okay, this started, man. Of our life? That's right. That's right. Long time coming. Something we both talked about doing for quite a while, and uh, why no no better time to do it than uh, when we're all locked inside our houses, growing weird mustaches. Introduce yourself, man.
1: All right, what's going on, everyone? Sam Smith, uh, avid Seattle Seahawks fan, also an avid Boston Bruins fan, Boston Celtics fan, <laughs> Boston Red Sox fan, not a fan of that team that is at that stadium that's named after some Razors that's out in Foxborough somewhere. Uh, I like I like talking sports. I like craft beer. Uh, and to be honest, I like hearing myself talk. So this is just a match made in heaven. Yeah, basically.
0: Uh Tim Cronin, pretty similar boat, uh, sports fan for a very, very long time, uh, grew up all over the place, so yeah, my heart's in a little bit of, everywhere I got some some love for some California teams, but dad being from Boston, the teams we always sat and watched together, Patriots, Bruins, Red Sox, um, a little bit of basketball here or there, uh, golf, I look forward to my Saturdays and Sundays when I can just clear a schedule and watch people far better than i'll ever be uh amaze me with a, a piece of iron and a small plastic ball but do you have like a caddy um that like comes into your living room
1: like maybe like your your son does it, where he like he's the beverage cart and he comes up and he like says dad do you, wanna, we do you try- want a Bud light or a mick ultra
0: we so we tried uh when we were younger uh when he was a little younger just to, you know if i was watching i if he came in the room you know Get him involved a little bit. And from a young age, from the time he was about one, one and a half, uh, we've got pictures of him sitting down watching football, watching golf. Uh, just this last summer, warms my heart a little bit. Uh, my wife was out of the house, uh, asked him what he felt like doing, and he said he wanted to watch baseball. So as a dad, you're kind there of you surprised, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Usually it's wildcrats or something. Uh, I was like, yes, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so I found the remote put on the first game I could find and it was I think like a twins game, something like that. It's like, no, Dad, I want to watch the Red Sox and I, 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 a small tier actually came to my eye. It was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great. Um, he's, a, he's a little budding athlete, I think. Yeah I mean I, I speak about
1: sports and I watch sports because I'm not really athletic right I tried out for one soccer team. obviously I didn't make it because again those who can't coach podcast yeah. so yeah. I, I didn't I didn't ever make it. Uh, into the professional sports arena um i i do love running but running hurts and the, the earlier you realize that the better off you're going to be <laughs>
0: yeah yeah uh i'm one of those that if you see me running you should probably join me because something bad is happening wherever i'm coming from up next is the fast break
1: the fast breaker with the sports stories we think you need to know we're going to start off with a recap of the nhl Fortnite for
0: charity championships tim uh, this last Monday, uh, several of the NHL players across the league took part in a uh, what they call the NHL PA Open, which was a Fortnite tournament that followed up a tournament that they did last month. Um, last month, Vince Dunn and Jordan Cairo both finished second uh, for that charity event. They both claimed $100,000 uh, that went to the charity they're choosing. Um, this last Monday, both of those players, with the addition of Robert Thomas, ended up taking first and won another $100,000. Um, this last Monday went to COVID-19, but on top of that, each player donated uh, additional money, $50,000 to the St. Louis Children's Hospital, 25000 to the Area Food Bank, and another $25,000 uh, $25, to uh, Muscular Dystrophy Research. Uh, quite, a, quite a good turnout. Looks like something... As teams have more downtime, they're turning towards to occupy their time, raise a little money, do a little something for the fans. I think going forward, you'll probably see a little bit more of these. The fact that they called it the NHLPA Open, I wouldn't be shocked if they do a couple other follow-ups, but everyone seemed to have a good time with it.
1: About a million dollars, I think, raised in in total. Yep. Give it tank, right? This is crazy, right? The the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup last year, and now they're also winning, like, the the Fortnite tournaments shut them down shut them down this is is good at everything we can't do it all right so that's good next we're gonna get into the match yes the match live sports was back uh and if you if you were with us on our last podcast which you'll probably never hear uh it is it it was
0: hit in (laughs) the closet
1: the match was tiger Peyton, brady mickelson 18 holes for coronavirus relief raised over 20 million dollars in best ball format and alternating uh shot format and damn it took place in the pouring rain uh in florida this weekend so i I just have to give a lot of props to them one we have some sort of live sports coming back and there's a lot of staff out there trying to make this thing a reality uh but i would be lying if i said that uh Seeing a wet miserable Tom Brady not winning anything didn't right. uh, kind of bring me a, a little bit of joy. You know what I mean? I mean,
0: I got to say, I was uh, both disappointed and pleasantly surprised. Uh, disappointed because you thought he would do a little better. Pleasantly surprised because it shows that he is human and I might even have a chance to beat him. Uh, <laughs> you know, except for the one shot beyond the pin and, and, and rolled it back. Uh, he looks pretty human out there. Um, but if there was anything more 2020 than that i don't know what it is but you have these beautiful days leading up to the tournament we got our first real event everyone's looking forward to and a tsunami rolls in and just devastates the entire thing Uh, yeah uh, i kind of wonder if some of uh not making excuses for anybody but uh you had Barkley saying he had seen Tom Brady playing 18 holes that morning and doing wind sprints in the parking lot. Uh, a little bit of an overachiever move, I have to say. But you wonder how much of that may have played into maybe psyching himself out. Or if I play 18 holes, I'm ready for a nap. I can't imagine playing, you know, a full 36 in a single day and you know, at peak performance the entire time.
1: Yeah, it was good. And I, I think that the ratings for it, I think there was like 5 million uh, viewers. It was probably yep. uh, one of the most rated uh, and viewed golf events since I think the Masters of a few years back. So obviously there's a market there. And then, of course, you, you begin to think about it, right? You're watching this match go down and you're just kind of saying to yourself, this would be like if I decided to go golfing with some friends. Yeah. Because there's always that one friend that you have that's like a great golfer. Yep. Could be like a pro, but he just doesn't. Have any drive to actually like go out and play in these multiple tournaments? He just kind of ruins you on the local course, right? And then yeah. you have you have the guy that's usually me, who you know you got to stand on the tee and kind of angle yourself to slice the ball back into the fairway somewhere. Yeah. So you're seeing these big sports stars and they're they're barely making the fairways, <laughs> and you're saying, "All right, cool. Yeah. This would be exactly what it would be like if I was going out and golfing." So I'm with you on that. I, I it's think like it was really
0: good. I think they started dialing in uh, at the turn. I think some of the pressure came off of them because you know they were doing the alternating shots. Um, I mean, I don't know if Brady hit more than one green or one uh, fairway leading up to it. They were pretty much hitting from the you know the sand or the the woods every single time. Uh, they both. I, I mean, Peyton was surprisingly. I mean. I would, I would still say maybe slightly above average, but he was super consistent, where Brady really struggled in the first portion of it, and then in the second half, kind of turned it on a little bit and kind of came around. Um, I think, you know, that's I, one of the things that surprised me the most. The other one is that nobody made any jokes about Peyton having a good five-year head start on the oh, yeah. golf game. The fact yeah. that n- nobody made any jokes about that, but... uh for me, I think one of the most enjoyable things to watch was the guys who they were piping in to, you know, make side bets with the players to help raise money. Um, your own boy, Russell Wilson, coming in. One mm-hmm. thousand meals. Yep. Yeah, that was cool, and the fact that uh, the only person not to make it within, uh, was it ten feet of the ten feet of the pin was Tiger. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that that was cool to see. I think Justin Thomas did a. Uh, A great job filling in, you know. I know he's not a typical broadcaster, but given the circumstance, it was it was fun to have someone who's inside and buddy buddy with a lot of those guys who could, you know, not only poke fun but bring us a little bit of an insider view you don't normally get from a broadcaster. I think a lot of broadcasters tend to be very formal, uh, very sort of you know, professional. Not, not professional because I think Justin Thomas was professional, but a different kind of professional, right? They they check the relationship side at the door a little bit um, where JT was basically leading into, you know, how well, he know, I think he gave Tiger like five different names throughout the match. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was very entertaining. It was fun to watch. It's good at five, five hours plus,
1: you know, it was good to have some sort of sparks back. I, I can't help but wonder though, right now that we've seen how this played out, uh, Tiger Brady maybe like one could have augmented the other and then Phil uh, and Peyton maybe it would have been a little more uh, even matched right Steph Curry wants in on the 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 th- match 3.0 and that, yeah. that of course brings us to another question obviously since you know is the money you got the viewers you got to do another match but you can't you can't give us Phil Tiger round three Wait, no. nah. do we uh, want to see it maybe but there's, there's got to be something else so you, you got to think about this we got to get some LPGA players in there, yep. right? You have the top golfers in the world right now and Jin Young-Koo, Brooke Henderson, yep. Hugh Ju Kim. But, like, you, you compare them with, like, Michelle Wee, Evelyn Goria, Condoleezza Rice. I mean, these are celebrities that love to play golf. You yep. tell me no one's going to show up for that?
0: I, uh, I'm slightly hesitant to, like, go down the rabbit hole only because at what point does it just become another pro-am? There's a lot right. of pro-ams already. Um, you have players like Tony Bromo who might be fun to get out and watch who's you know, flirted with a cut in a couple of the tournaments that he's played in um, Curry's done well in some of the pro-ams he's been on um, I think you need one more Tiger Phil you know you got you got the split right now with Phil taking it last year uh, and, and Tiger taking it this year I think you need to have at least one more I wouldn't mind seeing Tom and, and Peyton come back out but uh, I think Curry could be a good one. I think you start going maybe maybe you alternate sports every year. Yeah, you could. And yeah. again, if if we're looking for like
1: relief efforts, obviously we don't we don't just want to plan out. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's another natural disaster. We're just yeah. Gonna, yeah, gonna yeah put a golf yeah, yeah. you know tournament on top of it. That's not what we want to do. Uh,
0: it's also but- t- it's it's tough yeah. to look at the total viewership this year. Well, I think it's always going to be a big draw. A lot of people were home. I know some states are loosening up with the, the COVID restrictions, but I think uh, everybody was just hungry for some form of competitive sports. You throw Peyton in the mix. Anytime you throw a Tom Brady, you love him or hate him, anytime he gets in the mix, he's going to generate a buzz. And then obviously you have Tiger, who, by the way, looked amazing. I know it's his yeah, own did. course. I know there's no pressure because, uh, you know, it's a really low-stakes game. Um, look phenomenal. He hit him like reaction. five or six
1: fairways, like oh.
0: right off the tee. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. It's, it's very difficult for someone to start getting momentum back from you yeah. when you're so far out ahead that there's no way they're going to catch up.
0: Yeah, and he had uh, there was a couple holes where I mean, even on you know Brady's you know shot from the fairway, um, Tiger still almost stole the round, uh, stole the hole from them and lipped out from you know 25 feet out, 28 feet out, or something like that. So he looked, he looked phenomenal. I, I, I hope it's an indicator of what's to come this season, but it, it at least gives you hope. I know he's going to take a lot of time off. He's going to play. I, I think he's going to skip everything in between majors, may even skip a couple majors, but um, it was a good tune-up round, I think. Some, home, some so, home field advantage, but still. It's
1: always good when you go out there and get a dub, right? That's right. All right. So, of course, as we're moving back into the advent of sports, coming back into our lives, right, we have to talk about how, now that individual states are beginning to open up at different rates, we're, we're seeing sports return, right? So Florida and some of the other southern states were the first to do it. Now we have California and New Jersey. They're opening up as well. And, Tim, I'm just interested to hear, like, some of your thoughts. We know that the governor of New Jersey this week said, hey, we want professional sports back, not just practices, but, like, events, yep. you know, as soon as possible if the teams want to do it. Um, I personally think that a, a state like New Jersey, which has – over 130,000 cases of coronavirus and, and just under 12,000 deaths. Like, yep. you know, are you seeing a bit of a decline? Probably. Like, is it really worth bringing all the sports back in the area when you know that's a hot spot? I, I personally don't think so. I think that they can continue to wait until the testing and, and maybe a, an actual vaccine or, or good drug could come open. But, mm-hmm. again, it's very hard when you're in New Jersey. you got New York right there, and there's got to be some sort of pressure to yeah. to open
0: up. I think you got to – it's tough right because everyone's trying to balance you know economic stability uh personal lives personal health everything um i know governor phil murphy pretty much gave the go ahead for teams to return to facilities uh although i think it's a little clickbaity in what they were saying or how the announcement was rolled out um you know you hear that and you think oh my god what the hell is going on how could you open everything back up but when you actually the onion back a little bit you can see it's it's actually a limited opening right um it's limited to staff on site coaches aren't allowed on uh on premises it's it's basically reserved most mostly for rehabbing players at least in the beginning right um timing is a little interesting when you start looking at that because i wonder if this is sort of the guinea pig process you let Couple folks go in, see how they fare, see if there's any spike in cases because uh, mandatory mini camps are actually scheduled for two weeks from now, um, June 9th. So, if this is sort of let's roll it out in small doses and see what the backlash is, or see how the see how our fans feel, or something like that, then a uh, little bit of a different story. Uh, personally, when I look at it, I think everything's on the decline because what we're doing is working. Uh, you start taking facilities and start filling them up with it. Cause you know, for every player, there's probably four people there responsible for the player, right? Especially if you're rehabbing, you have the equipment guys there, you have the medical guys there, you have the various consultants, the nutritionists, you have the strengths and conditioning coaches, you have everybody who's also going to be there. So sure. You try to limit it to X amount of players, but there's been no talk on actual staff. Now I know there's a limit to how many people can be in the facility. I think it's a like 25 or, or or so. Um, that's gonna fill up with like two guys. So, yeah. who's gonna be there to enforce it for every one of those teams? Also, right? You have NHL teams, you have NBA teams, you have across the board. You have teams in every sport. Is someone gonna be standing out front? You know, with their clicker, like the guy at the front of the bar counting how many people are going in and out? It could be. Probably not, right? And you know. The league seems to be somewhat not divided. I think most people are erring in favor of being safe and staying home. I know the the players' Associ- the NFL Players Association still hasn't made a decision. They're still looking at hypotheticals and and how things could roll along. I know a lot of players are vocalizing how they don't feel comfortable playing. Some of them are, some of them aren't comfortable playing with the risk of getting sick and losing money on top of it. I think it impacts the NFL less than other teams who are having seasons that are cut short. Uh, You know, teams that are getting to jump into playoffs, a lot of those teams might be looking at it a little differently. You know, why am I putting myself on the line or my career on the line for less money? Which, you know, you kind of get both sides of the argument. I know first responders are probably sitting there laughing at them, but you kind of get it. How many people are willing to take the risk for a, a small reward? And I think. I'm also not sure the NFL season is going to start right away, so I don't know if I don't know why opening now would be a good time instead of pushing it out just at least a few more weeks just to see how the reopening goes. You're still seeing a slight upward trend, if not sort of a, sort of a a plateau as to where things are, but with the states reopening, it runs the risk of climbing again and. Yeah. The last thing I think any team wants to be from a PR standpoint is the team that had, you know, half of its staff test positive for COVID because you decided, you know, let's get a couple weeks extra in which really is going to have no impact on your in fact, if anything, it'll have a negative impact on your bottom line because your preseason games, whenever you decide to open those and your mini camps aren't going to have spectators. People aren't going to pay to come into those. Well, you may, but I think you're not going to get the same crowds as you used to. So it's not like it's a big revenue generating machine. It's just let's get the ball rolling. It's pretty much always. Yeah. So and you got
1: to think too, right? The Olympics, the, the 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 once every four years pinnacle diamond event of the summer that usually takes place in the latter part of the summer said, "No, we're good." Yeah. So, I mean, if the world athletic stage decides to say we're gonna we're gonna punt this down the road for a year. Yep. It, it seems to be almost like unequivocally American. Then we're like, yeah, by the way, we're going to open up and we're yeah. going to take our lumps to get them.
0: I, mean, I know that's that's not exactly what they're doing, but it's hard not to see it that way. It's, it, I mean, it is. There's definitely been, you know, to get into the political side of things, but there's definitely been sort of a separation between the global ideology and the United States, right? The rest of the globe is like, no, let's just be safe because this could really turn into something big. And at first, the United States was very much on board and then suddenly decided like, you know, thanks to the help of social media and a couple uh, stories and documentaries that went around, now it seems at least half the population is like, nah I'm over it. This is this isn't this isn't a big deal. So we'll, yeah. we'll know. If they decide to open up uh, sporting venues and people dive back in where we'll know we'll know pretty quickly what, what that means. Yeah,
1: indeed. All right, and the last uh, video we're gonna get to in the uh, the fast break is the The Major League Baseball scheduling scenarios. uh, You know, Tim, I just got to ask, like, 82 games or maybe less, like, is this season
0: worth saving? Depends on how you look at it. Um, I mean, 82 games. So, baseball is a very, very long season. 162 games is a really long time. The average attention span is so low now that most people aren't, aren't watching any more than... Maybe a handful of games, unless you're a diehard fan, you're going to take in a lot. I still tend to watch a lot of baseball. I have a four-year-old who has already expressed his interest in baseball, specifically the Red Sox, go team. Um, but if you look at it from a revenue standpoint, there is still a case to be made for salvaging uh, actual profits for the for the season. Right, the way a lot of the contracts are built out, they'll still continue to make money. Um, Not only for the league, but for the teams as well. They have three major contracts that are out. Uh, It's who is it? It's ESPN, uh, Fox, and who's the other team? There's one other. There's one other team in the mix that's that's part of that. Um, But basically, each one of those major contracts brings in about one and a half billion dollars that gets spread along the teams and then you have money that comes in through the central offices that also gets distributed out to the teams at about a billion dollars so there's still plenty of money to be made Uh, I think when you start looking at TV revenue just on a per team basis, that's when it starts to get a little bit more questionable, right? There are some teams that will make significantly more in television revenue for a season Um, a lot of that likely won't get impacted because contractually they're still going to be paid out. Um, like a lot of the, you know, Nesson, Yes Networks, a lot of the, the regional sports channels, they're, they're going to be fine. Their viewership's tied into cable subscribers, and, you know, everyone's struggling a little bit right now, so they're cutting down on some of those. But for the most part, that money is basically there. But when you start looking at viewership, ad revenue, and things like that, The numbers that separate the highest teams versus the lowest teams is pretty staggering. And that's where you start to make a case where how much of an impact is that going to have on some of those bottom teams? And is it really worth taking that risk? Now, granted, we're talking tens of millions of dollars and any tens of million dollars is better than no millions of dollars. Uh, The same way, you know, 82 games is better than zero games. But Agreed. Yeah, but for example, the the Dodgers bring in about two hundred and forty million dollars in television revenue every year. Um, they're by far the the highest team when it comes to television revenue. Right behind them is the Angels, and then the White Sox, and actually the Red Sox and Yankees are the the fourth and fifth. Reverse: Yankees and then and then the Red Sox. Um, with the Red Sox bringing in about 104 million in annual revenue from television, but if you start going to the bottom of the barrel, you start looking at like the the Marlins and the Brewers, they reach around like 20 million dollars, and then it jumps to like 40 million dollars. So, because of a lot of these teams that you know keep medical staff and take care of the the benefits and the health of these players, you get a significant portion of your team sick. How much of that revenue gets lost on additional health care? How much of your staff gets sick do you have to then pick up? Um, I'm for the opening, right? I think think any money is better than no money. I think any games are better than no games. Uh, And I know they are making some rule changes to help, I think, speed the game up, which would be a good experiment, I think, going forward. Seeing how some of those teams, or some of those rules play out, might be a blueprint for moving forward down the road. Now I know you have an opposing view. I know you're not totally yeah. a fan of it, but I, I gotta be honest. I mean, the MLB keeps
1: leaking some of these plans yeah. to come out, and it's like, uh, it's like as if someone uh, copied your homework, and they're like, "Oh, hey, I changed some of the words. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me know if you think this is gonna pass." Like, no, yeah. it's not gonna pass. Like, the MLB keeps releasing parts of like their plan to reopen and all they kept all they keep doing is just getting fire thrown back at them on social media from the players the players union now you're talking about uh you know the players union already agreed to a prorated salary cut okay and now they're going to do it again so there was more than 4.25 billion in player salaries on the books this season prior to the shutdown and now with an 82 game season it knocks it down more than two billion dollars Yep, that's a sizable amount and when you're talking about there are some teams like the Dodgers and the Sox and the Yankees, like teams that have like generational baseball money and probably yeah. aren't going to be necessarily as affected. The Brewers are not going to be able to really just take this one on the chin and keep going. Yeah. It's going to really hurt them for a, a serious point of time. And the sliding scale that the MLB you know, put out takes it from $2 billion down to like $1.5 billion or so. And that was on CBS Sports. So you're, you're taking a look at the fact that the money is dwindling. A lot of your star players really don't necessarily want to take the risk yep. are you really just going to faithfully trot forward based off of demand and think that that is going to be enough even if you have hub sites and everyone stays in little athlete villages and you contract chase like it just it just doesn't it yeah. just doesn't seem right right like you've you're already having the season 82 games is probably i would say like it if you can't if you can't, if you can't play 82 games you're probably not really going to have much of a season that's worth salvaging let's say you get you know a best of seven series winner and i don't know maybe a team like the brewers for example was pretty injured and and then they get to the point where they can be that postseason darling now everyone's going to say oh well you played an 82 season game okay well did we forget that the mariners won over 100 games and then didn't make the series like baseball as you mentioned is a very very finicky sport it's very long slow burning sort of sport and i just don't think with the rush that we got going on right now to get back to normalcy. I understand that, that baseball is important to America, but it's just, I think it's a little too much too soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only thing, like the last thing I'll I'll point I'll make on it is the constant conversation over the last few years is, is viewership and fandom dying for baseball because it is so long and so slow. Right. Um, There's just so many games part of me can't help but wonder if this is sort of what the sport needs to bring people back in, right? Like more people are home, more people are looking for things to do at night. Um, we've been so starved for sports for so long. Baseball tends to be an almost every night thing. Um, on top of that, the revised schedule will focus a lot on divisional play, which is something that I prefer. I like seeing teams within my division go up against each other. It gives me a better, picture I think of what the playoffs might look like and how those things might shake out. Um, I know the practice squads, the taxi squads are are generally going to be a a little bit larger about 20 players now instead of uh, what it was before Um, and an 82 game season might be a good sort of measuring stick to see if part of keeping fans around if shortening the season and maybe spacing the games out a little bit might help keep the audience attention a little longer right it, yeah you, you start seeing players like Dustin Pedroia that are just they can't keep up anymore with week after week after week of four to five games every single week if this allows players to I don't know it's a separate debate and conversation with you know our baseball players the same kind of athlete as a football player I mean no matter what you are doing if you regular average Joe go out and swing a bat in your yard you know 400 times a week every week eventually your arms are going to get sore you're going to tear a muscle in your bicep your rotator cuff is going to get sore eventually those things over long periods of time that's not counting preseason. that's not counting training camp or uh, any of the training camps that they're in it's just such a long time i wonder if 82 games might ultimately end up being sort of a better season in general and this would be good a good sort of test i know owners everyone are trying to make seasons longer because of, of money but i don't know if teams want to be playing into october or starting when they have to play around you know spring snow mm-hmm. so maybe maybe it'd be good uh, a good experiment so i'm for it indeed all right that was
1: the fast break we think those are the stories you need to know feel free to do some more research on so yep. obviously we're talking about sports Opening back up it's all good right the, the mlb is taken their crack at it. And the NHL just said, listen, we see what you did, MLB, and we're going to raise you, right? And they went to this new competitive format, 24 playoff teams set up and using round robins, right? So in, in each conference, the teams are going to be seeded by points percentage. So the first one, round robin, top four teams play for the first round seeding. and regular season overtime rules are going to be in effect. And you get the qualifying round for the remaining eight teams play a best of five series to advance to the first round. Mm-hmm. Playoff overtime rules. Then the first and second round is format seating versus bracket, and the series length is, is to be determined at this point. And then you have the conference finals and the Stanley Cup Finals, best seven. Now, I think, as a Boston Bruins who is currently the number one seed, this is this is real <laughs> beneficial to them, right? Yeah. If you take a look at in the East, right, you got the Tampa Bay Lightning, ugh, right behind them. Then you got the Capitals. The Capitals are one of those like hockey teams that a lot of people are just like thought, oh, whatever, Ovechkin. You want to Stanley a couple years? they are like go away, but they're not going away. They're like they're they're still remaining really revel- relevant, relevant. Yep. Um, and then of course in the West too, St. Louis, they just won last year. the, the, the number one seed. Colorado yep. Blanche having a nice resurgence, and then the Golden Knights staying
0: staying relevant. Staying relevant. I like it. I I actually for the record really like that move, and I'm really glad we got a desert team shaking things up a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think that as you have the winners from the qualifying round. Playing the top four seeds, you're gonna get that David versus Goliath like sports thing still going on, so it's gonna be good. We do want to see hockey, but I, I mean, I tell you, I've been to the Garden, I've been to Capital One Arena here in uh, in DC, and I don't want artificial noise pip- like piped in. I, I don't want that. I, right. I, I want people to be throwing stuff, yelling. I want a hot hockey
0: yeah. here. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And I agree. I mean, I I hate the idea to be honest. I love hockey. Uh, In fact, I was going to wear this bright, terrible Bruins shirt tonight, but I can't fully dive into the homerism just yet. Um, But I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. As much as I miss hockey, uh, I think there's been too much time off to go immediately into a tournament playoff style without any leading games. Um, You're basically asking teams to I don't know what the lead-in time will be for, like, practice weeks. Um, I know many of these locations are still under quarantine, so if they are practicing, they're doing it in their basements or, you know, on home ice arenas that they rent out or, or whatever. Um, but they're not going to be in game shape the same way they would be if this was at the tail end of a season, right? Um, flip side of that, you have injuries and players that could come back and play. But if you take athletes who are used to having, you know, a preseason, preseason games, uh, a regular season in which they the first half of the season is sort of figuring things out, the middle part of the season is getting your record situated, and then the tail end of the season is either a playoff push or strategically resting players because you know roughly where the playoff season will going to lie. Uh, I think if you just go right into it and you start putting – some of these teams on the ice you're risking significant injuries because uh, you're gonna have people who are you know out of practice you can't trust that everyone's at home doing all their Pilates and stretching out and, and whatever um, so I think for me it feels a little disingenuous it feels like a money grab let's just get people on the ice and make some money out of this um, you know the die hard hockey fans are gonna be in for it but I think if you're talking to the average viewer, um, you know, again, it goes back to MLB, any hockey is better than no hockey. I just don't know if the product is going to live up to what we're trying to play here, right? It's not a shortened season. We're going right into playoffs, right? Yeah, um, and, and you have to
1: think, too, right, that outside of those those top four or five, right, let's say, by, I don't know, some some nice miracle that the uh, Maple Leafs knock out the Caps, right? Well, yep. guess, guess who they're going to play in round 2, either the Lightning or the Bruins. Do I really think that uh the Maple Leafs are going to have a snowball's chance in hell in that series? No. Am I yeah. going to watch? It? Yes, of course. But I I don't I, we're not going to see, I don't think the type of yeah. hockey that fans really want. So again, some hockey is better than no hockey. Yeah. But and are I, they going to have their legs underneath them? No. Are they yeah. going to fight because they actually want to fight or they're going to fight because they think it's part of that strategy now?
0: Yeah, and I think it's I think just the I just don't think the product's gonna be very good, right? And I think it would be one of those that, no matter who won, there'd be an asterisk next to it, right? Like, oh, it's the twenty twenty season, and you basically won the college championship, right? Like, it was, we just came in and played each other for fun. Um, I think chalk it up as a loss. You're not gonna lose that much money. I, I say that as you know, Joe peon paycheck to paycheck. But uh, they, I know they're gonna they're gonna lose a significant portion just by having no season at all but they're tied to a lot of the same tv contracts right like those contracts are built in whether the games are played or not um the share of the, the ad revenue and whatnot that's gonna that's gonna sting a little bit you've got a good portion of the season in already um at least you know you got enough games for people to watch and know sort of what to expect to go into the the next season. But to expect those same teams to come out and perform as well as they did before the shutdown, I don't think that's feasible either. Right? And like the the Bruins coming in at a one seed is great because that's what their you know record reflected going into the shutdown. But is that the same team that was on the ice the last day of the season? Pro- probably not. No, probably. I, I don't think so. And I think you're just risking injury risking putting bad product out on the floor for consumption for no real no real game in my understood. opinion anyway. understood pros we got hockey bees on top
1: baby That's right cons uh we're, we might be coming back too soon those got those damn Tampa Bay lightning you know what I mean I just keep going back to the 2011 series yeah I was like can, can we just can we just not can, can someone just go ahead and you know put one
0: to to the lightning you know it was, it? At least we know yeah, they, their. At least we know their their their, their hockey hands might be in, in good shape with all the practice <laughs> they're getting.
1: <laughs>
0: good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Obviously, the last big scheduling change we talked about playoffs
1: is the NFL. I think that's probably one of those stories that has drawn the most uh, ire and scrutiny from some of the players. Um, one bye per conference now, not two. So it's number one seed or bust because you're going to play on wild card weekend. Yep. Um, there's going to be three games on Thanksgiving this year. It's going to be three games on Christmas this year. Like the NFL is saying, in no uncertain terms, COVID or no COVID, we're coming in hot for sure. But yeah, like three games on Wild Card Weekend. Like I love playoff football. I really do. I think that you know it's said that the divisional round is the best yep. football you're going to see all season. Yep. Um, do I want six games? I don't know that I really I, want. Yeah, more. and I
0: feel like. I don't know, I'm going to get blasted because most fans are NFL fans. I almost feel like there's too much football now, right? Like, I remember Sunday football. I remember Monday night football. And then after Thanksgiving, you had Thursday night games. Now it seems like there's just football all the time, and there's a reason to play. And towards the tail end of the season, you got Thursday games, you got Saturday games, you got Sunday games. Pump the brakes, man. Pump the brakes. You're going to start saturating the market, and you're going to – I say this without knowing anything about the stats because the stats Stats. don't matter. (laughs) Uh, But I I think realistically start cramming too much into – like Thanksgiving, I'm not actually watching a ton of football for a large portion of the day because it's a time I'm trying to spend with my family. Now if I have to dedicate like nine hours of my day to try and ingest – football games i mean that's brutal same thing with i know playoffs playoff football is fantastic but you gotta have a life as well i tend to put more time in watching games that i'm not necessarily rooting for come playoff time so it's nice to space them out and watch you know two games one day two games another day uh i prefer a format where you have fewer games in a sitting um but Damn, man, man. Someone needs to say take your participation trophy, your salesman of the year award. <laughs> you're good. You got this. You've saturated it. You're raking money in, hands over fist. You're, you know, just, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Stop at, what, it. at what
1: point do you just say enough is enough?
0: Yeah. Right? And, uh, I, I, you know,
1: again, the NFL wanted to do it. They wanted to get in for the, the new CBA. That was going to go into effect, so, like, good on them, I guess. But, like, it's sort of like you cut off your nose despite your face. Like yeah. you get six games on card weekend, but you're probably looking at a lockout Yeah, in a couple of years because you just want, you gave a 17th game because you want to get to 18 games. Like, yeah. Oh, we'll go ahead and we'll shorten the preseason to two games, but you'll have 19 regular season games or whatever crazy proposal they come up with. Like, why don't you just have two preseason games and then maybe 15, 14, 16 games, something like that. Like the 16
0: game like schedule, I think is good. I do, I do, too, and what I think you'll start seeing is generally, I mean, I. Don't, there are obviously every year implications in, like, the last two games of the season. Right? There's sure. always, like, mathematical equations where if this team loses to this team and this, win, this team wins their division over here, this team can get into the wild card, right? Like, that always happens. Generally, though, by about game, 13, 14, teams have started wrapping up their division, you know who's going in. If you stretch that out another two games, you're going to get like two burner games where it's just going to be second stringers, it's going to be people from the practice squad, they want to get reps, you're going to have people resting. I don't think it's, again, it has to do with the product you're putting out there, right? And at some point, the wear and tear on bodies is going to outweigh how many games are being played in a season and everyone's just going to be like, you know what, We're going to chalk up our season, guaranteed one loss, because we're going to take a game off, right? We're going to put almost none of our starters out on the field, regardless of what our stats are saying leading up to that point. Obviously, there's exceptions if someone's a game out and can win it. But for the most part, most teams know where they are. Going into the last few games of the season, you tack another one in there, teams are just going to take it off. Right. Yeah. Most most teams are just going to take it off. You're going to end up with like a preseason game. It's called, you might as well call it like a pre-playoff game. right? Where it's going to be two teams who are already in the playoffs who the outcome of that game may not necessarily determine their seed in the playoffs. Another game may determine that, but since there's no implications in those two teams, it's not going to matter. Or you'll have a team that's already in the playoffs going up against a team who got you know who got ruled out by halfway through the season, and yeah. you're going to have a bunch of tryhards maybe on the field with their second string quarterback going up against a team that's just all second and third stringers, practice squatters, just trying to get reps in because nobody wants to get injured in an already long season going into a still relatively long playoff season, right? Yeah, I, I, th- they should just, I think they should pr- cut the season down. A little bit more, or what are you gonna do? Offer additional bye weeks to try and cover for some of the wear and tear on the bodies? <laughs> no, I, I think if you had an additional bye week, like that probably just... could work.
1: I think the players would probably be, you know, in agreement with that, wanting to do that. Uh, I don't think anyone would want any less time off. Uh, you know, you read a lot of the Players Tribune stories and they talk about how their bodies are just so beat up by like week 12 or 13. Yeah. That it's like they're not even able to really fully practice until like Thursday. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you got to think about that. Like you, you put your life on the line for this game, a very very mm-hmm. violent game, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're not like you're a shell of yourself, and then Thursday, you're like ah, okay, I had it. Yep. And then you know, two days later, you do it all over again. You, when you roll the dice that many times, eventually you're going to yeah. come up and cry. So yeah. I think the NFL, they got it. They got a really good thing. They should just be trying to maximize as much profit in season as they can mm-hmm. instead of trying to elongate the season because I think they're headed for a
0: lockout. They are and I think uh, with the as they push more and more towards international teams and international games it's I think going to compound that because now you got 18 games or now you got you know 18 games in the regular season more than one of those will likely end up transitioning to some sort of you know Mexico game or London game or wherever we try to expand to I think adding additional travel and it's just all of it seems very very long and 18 weeks for a regular season, That is a very, very long time. I get it. You're only playing once. But, man, that's four months of just getting beat up without counting the playoffs. You include the playoffs. You're playing five months of football. That is incredible. You're you're... competitive football.
1: Because you don't have, like, probably six or seven weeks where you're not really doing anything. But, like, let's face it. If you're a franchise quarterback and you don't win the Super Bowl... You're probably in the office like a couple weeks later, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be there at rookie mini camp, right? OTAs. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be there for a lot of non-football activities,
0: yep. anyways. Yeah, you can't. You factor in the two uh, the two preseason, plus you have the uh, required mandatory mini camps, and then you have your regular mini camps, and then you have your regular preseason practice. Even before, you're looking at like six months of football on someone's body in a league that's just getting harder and faster and the hits are just like the physical specimens that are now playing this sport who are faster and stronger than they were even 10 years ago. I mean, if you go back and look at my, my favorite part is watching the NFL you know, recaps of old games and seeing how fast players were even on film back then till now. And it's almost like you're watching games in slow motion. It's not even, it's not even the same thing anymore. So, keep the season the way it is. Space the games out. Use that Thursday, Saturday, Sunday schedule. Come playoff, wild card weekend, and I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I need, I need my family time. I love fall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're the boys of fall, right? Is that what Kenny Chesney said? That's right. Uh, all righty. Next, we're going to get into one of my favorite topics, the big ticket. And Tim, you know that ever since we've been starved for content, there, there had to be a change, right? We asked, we said our prayers tonight, please give us some content. ESPN says, Your wish wishes my command. Here's the last dance, 10 yes. episodes. And everyone was like, Yeah, you know, like not golf cap clap, like thunderous clap. Yep. They were very happy about it. And then they said, All right, cool. Well, now we're doing for 30 for 30s. And we're like, Oh, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. Lance was dropped the other night so for those of you who are not familiar with it said it's, it's a two-part series spanning three hours and 22 minutes over two weeks time uh about Lance Armstrong and maybe you recall that he was a seven-time winner of the Tour de France oh but wait none of those wins counted because he blood doped and then lied yeah. about it until he admitted on, on Oprah that he
0: did use uh you know yeah. doping methods to win and now and he's he on was- that now he's on his <laughs> redemption tour
1: <laughs> oh, and it's like that's the way that the documentary started. They're like, you know, Lance is going to con- try and control his narrative, and and then the directors are having their own little battle with him. And I gotta be honest, I got about halfway through the first episode, I'm just kind of like, wow, like yeah. not only is he not backing down, but he's like, he's really kind of sticking to his guns about these things. I think a lot of people will probably forget that when Lance Armstrong was winning these Tour de France, he was like a beacon for like American strength. He was like a symbol. Right, we were in two bloody wars
0: cancer survivor
1: yeah he's a cancer survivor this red-blooded american just beat international like people all over the courses and 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 don't get me wrong the tour de france is a is a fantastic fantastic event cycling is a very very underrated sport and what he did was amazing Mm -hmm. but when you take a look at how he had to pretty much sell his soul to get there i I don't want to see another long protracted series where someone gets to control their own edit yeah. I mean, think about it like this. People say all the time, "Oh, I'm type A." If we keep seeing documentaries like this on ESPN, I'm going to assume that A in type A stands for asshole because that's yep. all they're doing. They're just trying to control their own edit and saying, "Oh, woe is me, but I did the best with what I could I, I could have." I just
0: Oh, it's yeah. you're, you're you're sort of seeing a little bit of that same thing start happen with uh, with Jordan now that his documentary's over. Now you have people who for all these years, had all of this supposed information just hanging away in the attic, digging that stuff out, trying to ride the success of the Last Dance, because the Last Dance was definitely one of the best sports documentaries I've seen in a very, very long time. Um, but then you got the Isaiah Thomas audio that just came out. You have people questioning the, the you know, flu game, the flu game, and and it's. I think what you're going to get exposed to is that maybe not all of your bright shining stars are as nice a guys as what you expect them to be, or what you think they are, and that success doesn't always equate to morality or the quality of the human being. Um, I think, in Lance's case, he's a tough one, right? Because he was sort of the Tiger Woods to, to cycling, where prior to Lance Armstrong, I bet most people couldn't name a single racer that took play, that even took part in the Tour de France, let alone won. And then when he started winning, everybody like I was watching, everybody I know was watching, it's all we were talking about. Uh, since he left, I could not name one, one cyclist that has competed in any of those events. Now, I, I agree, I think it's an underrated sport. It just doesn't have the same attention because there isn't this person that you can sort of while, while I couldn't relate to a, a cancer-surviving world champion cyclist, um, I, I definitely found interest in his story, the same way Tiger Woods sort of brought a whole... You know, speaking of, you know, type A semi-assholes, uh, Tiger Woods is one of those that, you know, before Tiger Woods, I'm sure people could name a couple marquee golfers that they heard in passing. You know, Phil Mickelson, uh, Vijay Singh, you know guys that you have heard and you may have recognized their name. Phil Mickelson, you know, it it can go back. But could you name, like, current players in any form of tournament? Probably not. Now that Tiger Woods came through, now most people have, like, two or three favorites, uh, favorites, and it's led the way for the Ricky Fowlers and, uh, every. you know, kind of made golf cool again. And Lance did that very much for cycling and then when you come out the whole thing was a sham and he's just a dirty cheater. I wrote him off like I had no interest in in watching the documentary. I've never seen an interview with him where I haven't left being like, "Man, this guy is a douche." Like it is pretty much for me, like just he is what he is. He's very he's very arrogant. I know they roll out the sob story and the red carpet all at the same time and it polarizes you one way or the other, but
1: Nah, well, we got to think about it, right? Because now we're, move- we're moving off Lance. It's second episode, Sunday night, 9 p.m., ESPN. Go ahead and watch it. Uh, spoiler alert, you know what happens. Uh, you know, it's not like you don't learn anything possibly new from that. Yeah. But then Tom Brady's already got a nine part series for next year. That dude's not even retired yet. Tim, yeah. talk to me about this. Why? Why does Tom need his own nine-part
0: series? We got I gotta, it. We got all things. I know. I gotta agree with you. Actually, I think his story has been somewhat beaten to death. Right? Like last, you know, last round, all the quarterbacks picked in front of him. You know, he's been on countless NFL top 100 players. The NFL did a story specifically on him and his draft pick. Nesson has done it. I think. ESPN has done 30 for 30's forum. Um, The only way I'm buying this is if it focuses heavily on the Patriots and the inside stuff. If I get the inside look that we get, you know, when Tom vs. Time on Facebook came out, that was kind of cool. It gave you an inside look at, you know, his life, how he trained. If there was a blend of that, his career, and then... You know, in the very same format, the other Patriots players. That I could kind of get on, but if it's just another sob story to success, look at me, I was the last pick, I'm jaded. I think there's still room to explore some of his some of his mindset, some of his career. I mean, do I think they should have waited and done this several years down the road? Probably. I mean, what are they going to do? Release like a 10-year... Anniversary edition of this story on whatever Blu-ray t- type media that we have. That'll have, you know, <laughs> say he goes on and plays for another three years. He's on the cusp of breaking several more records. Right? It's not inconceivable that he's going to win another Super Bowl. If he wins another Super Bowl, and he has seven. That is a very historic achievement, especially going from New England to Tampa Bay. I feel like that's something you want in your documentary. No, are they going to? Yes. S- maybe, maybe they schedule the the shoot to wrap up after the, the tail end of the season so they can, you know, throw that in there. Maybe it comes out as his sort of retirement story. Who knows? But I agree. I think it's a little early. Let the man have his career. Maybe he goes into Tampa Bay and just blows up. You can't backtrack now. You already told everybody you're doing it. Well, right. I suppose you could, but, yeah. Just let him let him ride it out a little bit. Let him, it, let him go. I will say this. If we're going to
1: watch a, a, an almost 10-part series on tom brady you know 199th pick to a six-time super bowl champion give me give me the 28-3 to three super bowl in like episode one and then in episode eight i want to watch him get his tail handed to him by the philadelphia eagles and then you can find a way to sort of wrap that up you don't even have to put super bowl 49 in there we already know what happened nobody really yeah whatever you know we gave it to him but you've got to pay attention yeah. to the fact that like if you're going to try and control your own narrative, people are going to say, "All right, we already saw what happened with Jordan. We're already taking it. You know this criticism with Lance. Tom, don't do this to us."
0: Here, he'll, he'll be a big measure because after Lance is Bruce Lee, and if Bruce Lee turns out to be an asshole, I'm not watching it anymore of him. Turning it off.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think, I think one thing they need to do in the Tom Brady documentary is they have to address in a meaningful way. Any of the scandals that came up, for sure. Right? For I, and I know, like we can rehash this on another podcast, but I know there's
1: only a few of them. It's not really. I anybody. know,
0: I know, I know. And the, the the facts tend to just completely dissipate when people talk about those. You know, what transpired in each one of those events. Uh, I know you had like elementary school kids debunking, you know, the idea of yep. Yeah, like showing how it actually could happen. Uh, but if they address those in a meaningful way, showed how they dealt with him internally, how he dealt with it, I think. Who am I kidding? Everyone's gonna watch it anyway. I'll oh, for wa- sure, I'll watch it five times. Uh, not six. <laughs> <sex. laughs> yeah, we'll see how the season goes. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think I think they gotta give him another few years before they go down that rabbit hole. So now we're talking
1: about everyone having these sports documentaries these nine ten part series um tim you gotta have someone to the docket. there's gotta be one person or a team or something you say listen i want to know as much as i can about this this person in relative to their own sport
0: Uh, who you got gotta go mike tyson man how do you not make how do you how do you not make a documentary about a man who gets a tattoo on his face adopts some tigers and starts a movie career after well i mean (laughs) tiger king tried but they weren't they weren't good bare knuckle boxers apparently um yeah, I think if you take into consideration the current standing of his career and sort of his outlook, he's sort of become this, you know, shining beacon of retribution in not only Hollywood, but in sports where he's putting out highlight videos showing him boxing and people are, you know, grumbling about a comeback. He's not, first let's get that out of the way, he's not going to come back. Uh, those those bags weren't punching back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, I think he had such a roller coaster of not only a career, but a life. He started as a very poor kid. He used to walk old ladies home and beat them up in the elevator to, to rob them. And then ended up uh, finding some success with uh, boxing. Met a good trainer. Literally skyrocketed to, to fame with some of the fastest knockouts that are still on record. Um, people used to by pay-per-view, by the millions, just to see how quickly he would take someone down. Uh, and then, you know, it started with the death of his trainer, and then the inception of Don King, and, and how that relationship started. You had that steady decline that ended up with him biting Holyfield's ear, and it just kind of went down, and he sort of spiraled after that. You know, he had some marital troubles, kind of fell off the face of the earth for a little while, went a little crazy publicly when he saw it. Interviews and conversations, uh, but then comes out with a face tattoo, starts doing some interviews, starts starring in roles. Finding out he's, you know, despite the lisp, he's still a very you know, funny actor, he's got some decent timing. Um, and then it continues on, he became a vegan for a little while, lost a ton of weight, got in some great shape, seems to be in a pretty good mental state, and now he's on, you know. Talking about, you know, how good life is to him, and although now he sounds a little scary, talking about, you know, the call of war bringing him back and wanting to, to to fight again, you start wondering if some of those demons are creeping back in. But I do think it would be, if you looked at all of it, I do think it would make a very entertaining, uh, maybe not a eh, ten parts. You could probably explore enough of it, but I, I I do think there's a lot of content there, right? Muhammad Ali, we've talked about a ton. Floyd Mayweather could be another one, but you don't know if his career's over. Plus, he's another one that's kind of, you know, on the fence a little bit. Uh, agreed. Yeah. I, th- I thought McGregor could be one, but he's still fighting. He, w- he would be one long-term down the road I would like to see just because he had uh, a very similar humble beginning, got all the limelight, maybe got a couple fights he, he may not have, you know, earned per se but because of the the mystique of of being him he got but i think if you're looking straight story start to finish and the whole span i think you gotta go tyson maybe gotta go tyson i think
1: it's interesting i think that we talk about sports as a redemption story right uh tyson's downfall is very well documented yeah and then, uh he's sort of like you said kind of route you know rise up from the ashes and really yep. just kind of started controlling his own narrative there yep. a long time so is he coming back? I don't know. I saw that video. You said the bags didn't punch back, but that that dude
0: still has a lot of power. He does. But if you're not,
1: I, I don't look like that when I punch back. For, just out
0: there. But man, you saw Tyson Fury go down a couple times and come back from the brink of of sleep, and uh, yeah. and win a couple fights. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think I think yeah. you put him in a ring with someone who hits hard, like a Deontay Wilder or or someone like that. Um, unless he's going down in the first few rings, and because that, that's the different thing about heavyweights now. Heavyweights aren't the same as they were. Tyson, in his heyday, looked like a machine with, like, it's 0%. Like yeah, he looked like a 0% body fat guy. And then everyone else he was in the ring with, for the most part, looked like built individuals with some water weight. Now you look at, you know, everybody but Tyson Fury, for the most part, and they're all, you know, 6'8", 260 260-pound just, Machines that can hit incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, I think it's. I. I don't think so. I don't think if he comes back, it better be like start with an exhibition first, go with some no name, and and take it from there. Yeah, definitely could do. All right, I gotta be honest though.
1: I think it'd be cool to see boxing, but I think we're missing probably one of the the crazy good stories of our time. And if we're gonna give Tommy B. Uh, and his six championships—a nine-part series. I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna get him a soapbox here. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. We gotta give the women's national team their own ten-part series. How in the world are we just gonna let one team yeah. happen to win six championships over 18 years? How are we gonna give them nine, nine-part episodes when you have the women's national team that's won five Olympic medals and has medaled eight out of the eight times they've gone to the World Cup? If you know, like, when the men's national team. One Olympic medal, I'm not even going to say it. You can look it up. It's not for a long time. Um, We know they're not really good at qualifying either. Uh, Look at the draw they have right now with the fight of their sports lives by bringing in equal pay. They're just doing so much for the sport. Now, I actually did a little bit of research. that The women's national team had a documentary that was narrated by Lee Schreiber that came out in 2005 called Dare to Dream. Mm -hmm. It was 77 minutes. So you think probably about six minutes for credit. So like 71, right? Um, They also got a really super long 25-minute edit after their 2019 World Cup victory from FIFA. Uh, Lance is three hours and 22 minutes. So if Lance is going to get a few hours, I think that we can go ahead and just give one of the most dominant, prolific American sports teams their own 10-part series. If we're talking about controlling the narrative, there's no one that deserves it more than the women's national team because right now their narrative is getting dragged through the mud and the women's soccer team is doing everything they can right. and soccer as a whole is like oh, well you're not as good as men look at the stats right look at the stats look at how much they draw look at how they're changing the yep. way sport is viewed look at the fact that outside of mls which is barely kind of really registering in the needle right now american soccer in in the rest of the world's eyes is not even like really viewed as like that's no, serious
0: no it's not even no that's why, yeah. that's why MLS brings in, like, retired Premier League players and, and Euro players to help draw in play. Like, yeah. kicking it from, mm-hmm. <laughs> kick or, from that the half-field line. Yeah, Sir
1: Wayne Rooney, all those, right? Now, th- this is the weird thing. Obviously, coronavirus shut down everything with the Olympics this year, but the women's team already won the Olympic qualifying tournament and the She Believes Cup. If you think for a second they were going to at least medal in the Olympics this year, you might want to get tested because – even though you're giving them another year, look, Alex Morgan just had twins. She's going to come back. Yeah, the goalie retired, the coach changed. You don't think they're going to take this year to go out and just go ahead and reload the team and come yeah. back out? The the women's national soccer team is the boogeyman of the international soccer like world for mm-hmm. women. I, I mean, I'm I'm all about it.
0: You yeah, think- I, I think but- I think you're uh, I think you're right. Although I think it's different. Uh, and the reason I say different is each one of these documentaries are highlighting an individual. If you look at how many of those championships were won by individual, like the same group of individuals, right? There have been some who have been for a lot of those games, but if you look at one championship or one medal and you space it across all of them, the team evolves and changes. Like you said, the, the goalie, for example, just changed. So I think I believe it it deserves its own documentary but i feel it would have to it, it would be a slightly different format right, right. like i th- i think that deserves something else like could, you you obviously could do a 10 part series but what they should do is like a 3 hour documentary like start to finish that goes over the rise the changing of the teams but the you know other than the lance and i think the bruce lee is probably like a 2 day series if we're talking full 10 part series I want an individual on these uh, that I can sit and sort of follow throughout the whole thing, right? The Last yeah. Dance, even though it it interviewed Pippen and it interviewed all these other players, it, its main focus is around the career of Jordan. Now, if you picked like, like a,
1: or, or Abby Wambach, you know what I mean, yeah. that would be a tough. Yeah,
0: yeah. so it. if you picked one of them and based the documentary around them, but shed light on the success as a whole. I think that is also very intriguing. I, I think that you're right. They're very underrepresented. They're underpaid. They deserve to be part of more of the conversation of what's happening. I think this year you saw a lot of that start to happen, right? Like there were a lot of movements that happened over the last few years that helped sort of uh, bring that into the limelight. And then you had the very and public suing Yeah, you had the very public lawsuits. Um, but I think if we're, if we're talking this 10-part series, I'm looking more individual Than team, because then you could look at Golden State Warriors, for example, and they're the way they've literally reshaped how the NBA teams are formatted and how they're being played, how they're being scored, and it's really turned it into like a math game, right? It's a game by numbers. Um, Granted, their success has been you know five years, six years or so, not to the same extent as the women's national team, but women's national they just come in they just dominate everybody that's a very different type of domination than like it's, the, the Golden State fantastic. warriors yeah. I, I just want to
1: see i just want to see another trailer of rapino just doing the um are you not entertained dance like everyone thought was like so not good sportsmanship i'm like yeah please it, they're, they're have you watched a men's a game yeah. yeah you know what i mean like if they're gonna go on the on the world
0: stage they're gonna go and slam people
1: yeah yeah yuck it up i'm yeah. all about
0: it yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, with, I'm with
1: you, 100%. And I think, obviously, of course, it goes without saying that Kobe is probably going to get at least a 10-part series at some point in the future if he hasn't already. I know he's been on detail, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in Memoriam uh, a bit. So, yep. big rise for sure. Yep, yep, yep. All right, we're going to get into one of the last segments here. Just do a quick update with you guys on Fantasyland. Now, Fantasyland is a segment that Tim and I like to put together because we like to think, listen, if there was a player – wasn't on his current team. Where would he be best suited? And I think what we have right now, just for a quick tidbit, you got to talk about Cam Newton. Cam Newton, face of the Carolina Panthers franchise, MVP 2015, 15-1, and 1, was a brand-new father, got into a car accident, in his back was all messed up, then they go to the Super Bowl, it was 24-10. Obviously, Cam Newton's unceremonious exit out of Charlotte, North Carolina, has really kind of driven this big wedge in the sports world right now where I think a lot of people are just wondering why a guy like Joe Flacco was signed and Cam Newton isn't. So let's think about this, Tim. If you're Cam Newton and you could land any place in the league that you wanted, where would you go?
0: Uh, So I think the big problem for Cam Newton, I tend to err on the side of personality when you start to see some of these exits and departures, right? I think uh, he's... Seems a bit like maybe a tough locker room guy. Now I don't know anything about him, obviously. But um I think maybe it was time for a little bit of a change. He was taking on that sort of old Russian lady babushka look towards the end with the little <laughs> thing tied around his neck. Um, I think he's in the J. Cole and Jay Z phase of his career where he is like he's all about fashion
1: and style and yeah. maybe that just doesn't jive with the team, but
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but I think An ideal team would be the Browns. The Browns? Yeah, I'm team, uh, not team bust Baker Mayfield. I am team knock down a pedestal. Maybe give him a year or two to sort of sit back and take in watching someone who could come in as a leader to take over a team and really help move them along right like baker to his credit has dealt with a lot of adversity some weird play calling last season um some changes he had no control over but i also don't think he's performing nearly at the level of what he was hoping i think his passing percentage was like 53 percent last season or somewhere in the 50s um I know Vegas has his over-under on passing yards this season, or the projected this season, only around like 3,700, which is almost what he did in his rookie season. So even Vegas isn't really big on him. I think he has a lot to prove this season, but they really built up that front line. Uh, They made some decent additions over the last couple years with you know Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. that aren't being really utilized I think if you put in someone who they're going to trust because I don't think right now they trust Baker right Baker hasn't really shown the ability to like take over game we all we all got a little short-sighted when he came in and won a couple games with the Browns early on because we were so used to watching him lose and it was really electrifying but I don't think he has the team behind him as much as he wants. He comes off a little young and a little arrogant. Um, that may change over time. I could see him evolving a little bit into like an Aaron Rodgers type player. Where he's got that little bit of edge, but a little bit of flair maybe. But he, I don't think the skill is going to be there. But as far as personality, I think Cam on that team with their sort of revised starting line and some of those receivers, I think that'd be pretty potent. Think what do you do. think that they would go? Like ten, six, eleven and five? Uh depend I think if we th- assume
1: that Baker Mayfield is a seven to nine or an eight and eight or a nine and seven.
0: Yeah, I think a decent quarterback on that team guarantees you at least a five hundred. Um I'd probably I'd probably land in around like the eleven and five range. Uh, I think because it's it's a tough division. You got Big Ben coming back. Yep. You obviously have, um, you know, the
1: MVP from last year, in yep. uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, Joe Burrow now starting that division too. Like, no real game is going to be. Yeah. A
0: gimme. No, but I think you've seen, sort of, the team developing around the passing running quarterback, right? I think you know, a lot of the draft picks this year were very much in that same sort of vein—guys who could throw the ball but could also scrambling move so immediately when you look at that team you think threats all over the field as far as passing goes but a guy who can't get to the ball right you put in somebody who can consume to get to, not that cam newton's the most accurate guy i know there's a lot of questions on his shoulder and, and his health he's been injured the last few seasons and hasn't even finished the season um which i think also plays into it maybe there's more there than what we are privy to in the public i know he's showing all of his workout videos he's in he appears to be in great shape, but he is very injury-prone right now. But you bring a guy like that in who can make some of those passes, but can also move pretty well. Um, I think I think it'd be pretty dangerous. I, my my second team is going to be the Patriots, uh, but that's not a dream. I would like to. I don't even want to envision that. But take him and throw him on a team that's historically been very much pass-heavy. Keep the pass-heavy scheme, but mix in a quarterback that can move. Changes up the, I mean, a already somewhat weak division, but makes the threat of that even more. Because obviously, we know Tom Brady couldn't move to save his life. Um, but I don't think game, Cam Newton has the same game sense or game awareness that Tom Brady did. So there'd be there'd be a trade-off. But I'm going yeah. I'm going Browns. Baker Baker's got a lot to prove this season. Uh, yeah. He does. yeah. I
1: think to the, you have to take a look. If you haven't had a chance to watch the all or nothing series on Amazon prime, mm-hmm. uh, if you watch that series, it, you're going to learn so much more. It's sort of like hard knocks, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's not the, the, the production value is similar, but I really like the The grittiness, like you're going to get the grittiness with hard knocks. Like this last season, it was just screwed and just mm-hmm. dropping an F bomb all over the place. But when you watch all or nothing, you see the team as it progresses through the season, not mm-hmm. just getting ready for the season. Right, right I feel like you see a different side of it. Um, cams part in the panthers all nothing season you know juxtaposition against luke keekley's and ron rivera and thomas davis was like i i had an idea about cam and that that season kind of broke it for me so mm-hmm. when i'm thinking about landing spots for him you say the browns but i'm i'm saying we're already in the south in charlotte let's just keep going more south let's go ahead and go to florida jacksonville jaguars what's up blake bortles it was cool it didn't work out. You right. almost went to the Super Bowl, but you didn't because on 4th and 15, you had to trust a receiver to beat Stephon Gilmore. But we're not going to talk about that. Like, World is no longer with the team. Right. Yep. Gardner Minshew came in, won some games. Then Nick Foles started, didn't win some games. Then he left town. So Gardner Minshew's your guy. Okay? Yeah. The coach is on the hot seat, right? Let's think yeah. about this. If Cam Newton goes to the Jags, is, is it going to be a 13-3 and team immediately? No. Is the, are the – Jacksonville Jaguars are 13-3 squad right now with Gardner Minshew? No. Nobody nobody knows what they are right now. The way that that organization is treating top-level talent right now by what's been put out on social media with Yannick Ngakwe, Leonard Fournette, right. you need a win. You need a PR win, and you need a guy who can come in and win. And all the same points you are talking about, how Cam can bring that team together Mm -hmm. and make the most out of the talent that he has, it's got to be Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Look, they're, they're bringing in Tyler Eifert. Mm-hmm. They got Chris Thompson. Let me just remind you: in twenty fifteen, when they went fifteen and one, they had Greg Olson, Jonathan yeah. Stewart pounded it, you know, up the middle, and then they had guys that could catch slant passes and just go crazy all over the place. Right. That just seems like if you're trying to get back to something, that's got to be it. Yeah. So, the backup quarterback right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars is Mike Glennon. We don't really need to go further than that to let you know that, like, there's nothing that Cam couldn't do that Glennon doesn't yeah right. now like, it, he, he couldn't even stay on the Raiders so like you, you gotta give this guy a shot it's a high risk but it's a high reward scenario and like for your fans in Jacksonville you gotta be giving them something other than a pool with a bar in the end zone now are you thinking bringing him in as a backup or a starter no I mean listen take the reins Kim right? Newton, you bring Cam Newton in there you don't even have to say Gardner's our guy why don't you just go ahead and let the training camp and let the first couple of preseason games tell you what you need to know. Gardner, he's a he's a good quarterback. He's gonna develop into probably a great quarterback in a few years. But there's there's coaching issues yeah. there right now. There have been coordinator changes. Like you got a guy that's probably on his last year, and he's putting his entire faith into Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I get it. I want to believe that that Gardner can the mustache. Resume. The
0: mustache will take us into the promised land. Yeah,
1: exactly. But I think we have to. We have to take a look at it and just say, we're going off of measured success. And Cam probably so desperately wants to get away from that knock against him that he's not physical anymore because he didn't dive on that ball in the Super Bowl or right. his, you know, his attitude when they lost the game. But I respect Cam for the fact that like he never wavered. Yep. He gave Charlotte everything. He was the face of that franchise for that city for a long time. And the franchise, as we know professional sports do, it's a cold business. Yep. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be signed right
0: now. Now, say for whatever reason his personality that was ultimately the demise. Do you think introducing any type of toxic player or personality into an organization like Jacksonville, which is already somewhat turbulent as it is, do you think that sort of exasperates that whole thing, or do you think that might find a way to center it because he's, you know, he's an All Star level was an all-star level quarterback who performs at a high level who might be able to bring in some form of leadership or does it come in and then he's just in stirring the pot because you know he's a type a and our documentaries told us what type a's are (laughs) (laughs) uh if it just blows up the team you know what i mean yeah i think you have to take a look to the fact that
1: like one, we want NFL players to be superhuman, but we forget that they have morals and, and that they, yeah. they are a version of themselves and they get super famous, super rich. Yeah. Um, and then they get to a point where they've probably ascended and believe, rightfully so, that, that they can act a certain way or, yeah. or that they can be who they feel they, they've earned the right to be. I think in Cam scenario, when you go to a really, really tough place to play, like yeah. Charlotte, like the owner before he died like was under investigation for a lot of hanky-panky, right? And, yeah. and that's that's putting it mildly. Like, we, we could go deeper into that. Yep. But even when you look at this, some of the stuff that Jerry Richardson said on record, he was pretty conservative in his ways. And I think that Cam represented a really big departure from what yep. traditional Charlotte, Carolina, and you know, Carolina yeah. Panthers football was going to be. Um, and now he's on the way out. But mm-hmm. the change that he made there, you can't quantify. Right. So I think that just because maybe he's in his – Social media phase where he's, you know, attempted to again controls narrative in,
0: in his uh, feelings. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's fine. You know, if you go fifteen and one, and a few years later a team cuts you and brings in, you know, some backups when you just had Christian McCaffrey on the team. Yeah, yeah I'd probably be, you know, in my feelings a little bit too. Yeah. So I, th- I don't, I don't think that necessarily the knock against Cam, is is his attitude. I think right. that if anyone had to go through back to back season ending surgeries, uh, their foot and everything, and you just keep getting. Labeled as you know, you're a toxic, you're a weak neighbor. person, yeah, or a toxic. Like that, that's going to have an effect on anyone. And I just think that a he deserves a fresh start. Yeah. B if Jacksonville really wants to make waves in the division, right? Because the fc South now, like the Texans, even though they keep like playing crazy Rubik's Cube combinations, they still got Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Now the Colts have filled Rivers. You, you like. The defense is good, but you don't have Jalen Ramsey there anymore. So Philip is going to sling it all over the place. You're going to get some interceptions, yep. but he's going to put points on you. If I'm the Jags, like, pick up the phone, call, say, listen, yeah. five, six million dollars.
0: Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Do a one year contract with an option for the second year. Do it for short money. Although. Your fans being in the south may burn your facility down if you chase that mustache out of the <laughs> <laughs> out of that stadium. Uh, he is like he is a staple of the south right now. But- he is.
1: Yeah. He was a staple of uh, Eastern Washington too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But- Spokane, stand up. All right. This is probably my favorite part of of the pod right here. This is called parting cheers slash what's in my cup. Right, uh, Tim, myself huge craft beer fans probably an understatement so we're going to go ahead and share with you the beers that we're drinking right now hopefully you
0: can acquire them legally or through other manners if if, if you have friends who know who know people who know people who and buy I beer play from play. people like yeah, yeah. um yeah so i'm actually keeping it a little bit local with a new brewery that just opened up uh in broomfield massachusetts um it's called oak home brewing uh i think it's broomfield. Oh brookfield Massachusetts. Uh, slight spoiler alert: um, My sister-in-law's brother just started this place. Uh, he has this whole farm. Uh, they want to do weddings out of and all these things, and he decided he was going to open up a brewery. Surprisingly good for one of their first offerings. Their IPAs are um, pretty good. I would put them up with a lot of like the local breweries around here, but their stout is phenomenal. And for me, it is always stout season, so I'm drinking their Cows over the moon, uh, milk stout. Very nice. Very nice. I am drinking,
1: probably, I guess you could say, like the, one of the quintessential Portland, Maine beers, uh, a subby substance, mm-hmm. right? As it's affectionately known by Buster Brothers. Um, one thing that I just love about this beer is that, sort of like all of like the great beers, it just tastes the same every time that you have it. Yep. And it's like, no matter where it goes, it just generates its own hype. Um, I remember. When Chelsea and I moved out of Maine, and there you go, you got the glass. Uh, we moved out of Maine in 2014 well, with the Army to head out west. You know, you know, we land there, and everyone's like, you're from Maine. Well, you must have had this on. I'm like, there's a bear shit in the woods. Of course I have. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> but can you give me substance? And I was like, how do you know about substance? And this is 2014. Yeah. It was already big, you know, on the East Coast anyways. And uh, now that, like, they're pouring at festivals, and anytime I can, I can find somebody around yeah. it's like, I, I got to grab it.
0: Yeah. I know better. Is it, a, is it, a, is it, it a shelf beer for you now? Like, can you go in and buy it on a shelf down there? Um, so there are some places down here that that do get it, um, in like waves. Got it. Wow, I don't even get in Connecticut. It's amazing. I think yeah. I think they're doing what I've been saying Treehouse needs to do for a long time, which is distribute out of like go two states out and beyond and distribute from there because all of these breweries are losing so much money on the secondary market right mm-hmm. like people are coming in and they're buying their beers and then they're going and hawking them online right and like I, I won't give the names of any beer groups but I know of a couple beer groups where you can go on and, and acquire some for either straight muling fees or sort of some of these janky sort of uh, auctioning systems that exist out there but um i think if they were to capitalize on some of the distribution while still keeping the local distribution available which i actually think treehouse is moving in that direction if i had to guess only yeah. because i know it's available at gillette now like if you go in and you're in the we're vip it had at to gillette too in, in certain parts yeah yeah it's their like vip section like if you pay a million dollars to get in to watch a, a Choose Pat's game, you could probably get some Treehouse. Um, but I heard that Head Brewer wants to further expand their operation, which, if you haven't been up there recently, is already insane. And with them and their bread and butter being the, the availability of fresh beer, if they're not selling out every day now and it's pushing it out a week, beer snobs, you know, they're already sort of poo pooing on Treehouse's new facilities as they do anytime someone expands. Oh, yeah. It's oh it's the water or it's no. It's the same thing. You've just ha- your palate has modified a little bit since you started drinking them. It's the same beer. Um Man. I hope they do. It'd be nice down here in Connecticut. I know they're opening up a farmhouse style brewery here in Connecticut, so is Trillium. Um Man, it's like if you take a look at the at the Massachusetts beer scene, especially in the
1: last year, it is like warfare. Yeah. Right? It, it's an arms race, like yep. to as much not shelf space, but as like actual real estate as you possibly can. Um, I remember getting like beers from Trillium, like you know, on the on their street side. I think like in Canton. Yep. Uh, and now like they have like the one trillion place with the uh, with the kitchen and the whole, whole yeah outdoor seating area, and it's just like you have Lord Hobo that's like blown up too, trying to just like put as much beer as possible in as many places as possible. Yep. And outdoor beer gardens,
0: like it's it's crazy. Trillium has two beer gardens now uh, i mean I'm, I'm all for it they all seem to be pretty uh pretty supportive of each other i know so i worked at a brewery for a little bit and i know we helped a lot of the bigger breweries and some of those other breweries helped us out you know someone called hops are incredibly expensive and usually cr- contracted out for a couple of years so if someone was trying to brew something and they had uh you know an issue and they needed more hops sometimes they would call and and whatnot. So it's good to see it's supportive. You kind of wonder when the bubble is going to burst because this many breweries, breweries. Yeah. Gotta come. If COVID
1: doesn't sort of really put a, a ding on this, you kind of wonder what will.
0: Yeah, and I wonder. I, all I think it's going to do is sort of re- maybe hit the reset button a little bit for you know some breweries are going to go under, but I think new ones are going to pop up in its place. I wonder, and you you got a th- sort of a weird thing when you step back and you look at like the wine industry. How many wines are out there that I never see anyone buy, yet they're always out there? And you wonder if beer is going to be the same way. Like, there's always somewhat enough of a revenue stream to keep these places open. I have no idea. But it's it's felt like a bubble for, like, ten years now, and I keep waiting for it to just collapse. But here we are. New breweries is opening pretty much every day. I mean, innovation. Case in point. Gotta go somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick tip for the
1: listeners, though, if you ever fly into uh, Logan International, right, and you decide to say, "Listen, I got some time to kill," Um, maybe you're staying by the airport, maybe you're not. You can go ahead and take the Silver Line for free to Courthouse
0: Square. Walk up the stairs, two blocks over, Trillium. There you go. Yep. Welcome. We'll give you we'll give you a checklist next time. You got to hit up Lamplighter when you're up there next time if you haven't been up there. Lamplighter is phenomenal. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a ton up there. We could spend, Exhibit A is another one that's in the southern part of Massachusetts. They're phenomenal. Um, Weymouth, uh, East Weymouth has a new brewery called Vitamin C that uh, I have not yet had a bad beer from. Mm. Um, speaking of which, and you want any of us to talk about your beer, uh, feel free to uh, pass them along. We will uh, be glad to enjoy some and talk about it. Uh, sure will. yep. That's and little, we'll be quick, sure to give oh, you I
1: have nothing to say bad
0: about it. <laughs> yeah, and we will give honest opinions on it, um, no matter where it comes from. We'll t- we'll take the barstool pizza approach. <laughs> what that, that's what I do when I like when I
1: rate beers on Untappd. I do one sip, right? Mm. You got to sip it a couple times, take one nice long sip. It's funny because like everyone will look at me, and they say, "What the hell are you doing?" I'm like, "You know how Barstool does their one bite? This is this is my one bite."
0: Yeah, yeah. It uh. For me, I have to do a couple because I need one when you first open it, one when it aerates a little bit, and then one when it gets a little warmer. Some beers, as they get a little warmer, get a little bit more flavorful. But depends on the board. People say, like, what's the best way to drink
1: Guinness? You say you order three, right? You drink the first one super cold, then you order a second one. By the time you're halfway through the first one, and then you order a third one. Yeah, by you finish the first two, that's
0: the third Guinness is actually how it should taste. (laughs) That's that's it's because those first it. that's because those first two were enough to put to put you over. At my, at my age now. Anyway, sir. First one in the books for us. First one in the books. We hope you guys enjoyed
1: the Sasson Matter podcast. Parting cheers, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Cheers, guys. Get